today's episode of PLP Talks, we are going to interview Andrea Cohen. She is a salsa-sponsored bike rider, and last year she had a super busy season. She rode Land Run, DKXL, and the Tour Divide. We're going to talk to Andrea about riding these different events, what's going on in the gravel scene today, and also about a group ride that she's growing out in Iowa called the Gravel Scouts. If you're into gravel, this episode is for you. Before we get started, if you like content like this and want to support it, check out the links in the show notes. There's a link to supporting this podcast and our YouTube channel via PayPal and Patreon. I really appreciate it and keeps this stuff happening. So without further ado, enjoy the show. So we're here with Andrea Cohen. She is a salsa-sponsored writer, uh, has done a ton of gravel events. Thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you, Russ. So last year you had a busy gravel riding season. What were some of the events that you did? So last year I did do the Almanzo, the Royal, did Land Run, did DKXL, I did the Tour Divide, and then I went down and did part of the Monumental Loop. Right. That's a busy so a schedule. Out of order. Yeah, it, it seems like <laughs> you ticked off all the the greatest hits in one season. <laughs> yeah, I try to. So you also work at uh, World of Bikes in is it? It's in Iowa City. Yep, I've been there for about seven years, so it's been what I've done since I graduated, and I've been in Iowa City for about 11 years. So I'm kind of curious, like, uh, you know, you've been at the shop for a while, you, you ride gravel, like, when um, in the timeline did you start noticing, like, a, an interest in kind of this mixed terrain riding? I was mountain biking before I was riding gravel, and that's really, like, kind of how I found off-road riding with, through mountain biking. And I remember riding with people who I'd go to the trails with on gravel. And they're like, you can go down that B road. I'm like, what's that? Okay, whatever. So, you know, when the trails were closed, we'd ride gravel. And uh, so it was just kind of always in the background. And it's something I always worked on. And, you know, we don't have a ton of single track here. So in gravel, you don't have to think. You can just pedal and go. Do you think because of that, it has the kind of the opportunity to bring more people in? Or who do you see oh. like getting in, involved in gravel? Yeah, totally. I mean, it's it's all people who have never ridden bikes before now. And it's awesome. It's like the funniest group of people. Like what's, uh, do you have a sense of like what the interest curve looks like um, over the last couple of years? Is it still growing? Is it plateauing? Is the, the type of rider interested in gravel changing? No, I think it's definitely growing. I think um, I kind of joke around that it's like the marathon of bikes. You know, every everyone runs a marathon. You, you're in a group of people, someone's run a marathon. And now it's like someone's done a gravel ride, which is really exciting because you don't know what to expect when you show up sometimes. And I think things have been maturing too. And pretty quickly, I mean, five years is, I would say, about when things started getting like noticeably different. So that's kind of like when my little bubble popped in the bike shop. And I realized like, oh, wait, this is a th- thing that uh people do oh i'm not just wandering around with my friends anymore like we're we should pay attention and right so start, you know. so how how have things changed is it just like the number of people or like you know what are the mm-hmm. things that you know this that change i mean really the people yeah the people there's more that's it like it's it's and that's the the weird thing about it is that there's so many more people but it still feels really you know grassroots is something i think about a lot and then just uh, like Dirty Kansas, the first event to be different. Everything else, it's pretty straightforward. Like there's no expectations, I suppose. That's what I'm getting at is that 
gravel doesn't have any expectations. So it's really fun to just show up. Mm -hmm. Why do you think there's a, a big interest in it? Because you don't have to be a certain way. You can just sign yourself up for the category you fit in, which they're pretty wide open. You don't have to like have a license and be in a category and understand like, like, oh, which bike do I ride or what kit do I wear? It's like, yeah, you just show up like on your commuter that you rode home from work, just stop at the ride on the way home, you know? Yeah, that was kind of like the, the really appealing aspects of it when I started to hear about it is that um, it was kind of okay to be a little bit of a bike misfit. Which is definitely what I am. I think um, pretty much my, you know, the bike shop is a good example. Pretty much everything I do is a good example of me being a misfit. And it's, but it's fun because once you, you know, work your way into it and figure it out, it's, it's worth it. And I mean, another reason why I started riding gravel myself was because it was free and a lot of it still is. So the barriers to entry are like almost zero besides, you know, getting your own stuff and taking care of yourself. But so working at the, at the bike shop, you probably have an interesting perspective on how the gravel bike has changed. Um, like what were, <laughs> what were people using in the beginning and like how, like what, what do you think is actually a real improvement? I mean, what people were using were whatever they had, which <laughs> could be just about anything. I remember I bought a $400 Craigslist bike, like a, it was a cross bike. So I had cross bikes for a while and that's what people were riding, uh, mountain bikes. And now the improvement is that I think the bikes haven't changed much, but the ability to like look at it and say that's a gravel bike and, and they've labeled it. So it's like, yeah, this is more tangible. This is a thing I can do. Like I buy the, the bike for the thing and then I do it. That's another barrier that's eliminated. The bikes are tailored, the mm -hmm. shoes, the shirts. It's yeah. I mean, I know that like a lot of people like, have a issue with the name gravel bike and the, you know especially like people get really cantankerous it's like well i remember when but i think there is some kind of i don't know power in in naming the thing and then yeah. like okay this is you know this will do this thing yes you can do other bikes you can use other mm -hmm. bikes to, to do this task but this is yeah. optimized for it or you know yeah it's very powerful it's labels i mean that's the thing you can label the thing you can label yourself like that's the whole and that's the cool thing about gravel is the people and how they're labeling the riders and the events and the bikes. And that's where we're at right now is like trying to pick out those things. And we have the power and the ability to do that because it's never been de defined before, you right. know. <laughs> it's an interesting, I think, time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like the fashion's more important than the function, because uh, it is fashionable. It is cool to have pro riders there, but that's why they exist is to do that, to show up to things that they think are cool and, and are exciting and, and to promote them. Like, why else are they professionals? If And I like that. I like competitive cycling. I'm a competitive person. Mm -hmm. I could call myself a competitive athlete if I wanted to, mm -hmm. but... With gravel, I don't have to, and it feels really nice to kind of just show up and ride my ride and, you know, get some ridiculous questions, and I would hope that the professionals are getting just the same experience, right. so <laughs> something they've never done on bikes before, that's yeah. for sure. So do you guys see at the shop kind of 
just a general de decline in like pure road bike sales um, relative to, to gravel bikes? I think the road bikes are holding their own pretty well, but the gravel bikes are definitely, that's where you see a big jump. And it changes our perspective on what bikes we'll carry in the shop. So maybe we'll take out one of each kind of bike. So not just the road bike, but like the commuter. We have a journeyman now. You can cut out that $1,000 hybrid that we used to have because it was cool. Now journeyman's cooler. So um, I think it's every bike is being affected, which is awesome. I still don't have a road bike, though, so no. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do with it. I'd break, I'd break it. Right. <laughs> yeah. What was your the, the first kind of organized gravel event that you did? Ooh, it was the Gritty Brevet. Uh, Steve, wow, what is his name? Getzelman. Steve Getzelman put it on. He's actually good friends with Ira Ryan, and he did Trans-Iowa, like the first one, and and so he did his own free gravel event, and that's what it was in Iowa. Yeah. It's like 100 miles. You're never further than 30 miles away from Iowa City. So if you get stuck, you can just, like, hobble home. And, uh, yeah, it was awesome. And then the next one I signed up for was Trans-Iowa because that was, like, all I – I was like, Steve, what does this all mean? He's like, well, I did Trans-Iowa. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and my, <laughs> I sent in a postcard with three other people. One of them who's now dating my brother, so it's it's Iowa. Everyone knows each other, and uh, that was like ten years ago or something, nine years ago. How yeah. how was your uh, Trans Iowa ride? Uh, <laughs> so I rode the ride with the boyfriend of Audrey. Then Audrey's the lady who signed us up. She didn't ride the ride, so. At one point when we were lost, he pulled out a full atlas of Iowa, and he's like looking at it like, well, I don't know, because it's not like we have any directions beyond where we might turn and then turn around and then get completely lost. So got a ride to a bar from a truck. Yeah, that was at mile like 120, maybe. Yeah. But I remember it pretty vividly. Someone else showed up to the same spot we were lost in, and they just turned around and kept riding. Right. It was Matt, Matt Wills, yeah. So that was a good learning learning experience. So uh, let's talk about some of the events that you did last year. Uh, last year, you got invited to do DKXL. What was that experience like? It was uh, interesting. I kind of felt like I was in a weird fishbowl, like swimming around, like, wow, we're in a really you know crowded expo. And I, my, I'm a... a introverted person I prefer being alone I mm -hmm. so yeah once you left that area out of that overwhelming crowd feeling which was exciting then you got out into the the actual ride and then there was media people out there which felt weird and there was more people out there and more people at the gas stations and I was riding with a friend and I was like Allison I feel weird like I <laughs> should go and just stay here at this gas station. She's like, well, I want to find the Chase Lounge. I'm like, okay. So I rode with her until that. And then and then it started like 60 mile an hour winding. Oh, the wind was like <laughs> sideways. And so we just stayed at the gas station because I wouldn't have ridden anyways. Like no matter what event it was, I was like, this is a good place. And that was it. Hung out and someone came and picked us up like five hours later. After the start got delayed and all sorts of things were happening, we were just sitting at a Casey's. Like, Allison had bought a new T-shirt by that point. She's like, because it was so humid and hot, 
what is it June in Kansas? Why does anyone go there? <laughs> so, it's just really windy and terrible. But yeah. it was it was a very it's a, it was you know a very almost immature event, which mm-hmm. is cool because it's mm-hmm. supposed to be a little silly and people are excited and I think it's going to do really cool things for people because it's accessible. Something like Trans Iowa. I mean, it's gone now and it's inaccessible. Like, why would we go to Iowa in April? Like, you have a much better chance of actually finishing DKXL, although it's still 350 miles. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you really want to? I hope not. Right. <laughs> I, I, I hope this year they were surprised by the lack of people wanting to sign up, which just gives it more merit, I think, I, and gives Dirty Kansas, you know, the 200 mile more of a reason to, to you know, push for that or 100 or 50, 20 miles, whatever you want to do, you know, real, recognizing that the options are, are each of them are important. And right. <laughs> if you sign up for the XL, you're going to have a, a, it's like a circus. I mean, signing up for any event of that distance is just like prepare yourself. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Laura and I attempted uh, the the two hundred last mm. year. Uh, we got about halfway. Um, yeah, it's a it's a big ride. Even you know, yeah. <laughs> Hot, windy, everything's sharp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For us, like the big shocker was um, you know the heat, the heat and the wind. Like we, we, mm-hmm. we live in Montana now and there was just no way to acclimate. So we get there and it's like, you know, our nutrition that was working at 50 degrees was, was not working right. with us. Like, you know, when it was 80, 80 or 90. It was mostly the nutrition then that got you. Yeah. I just felt nauseated after like mile 80. Um, mm. But also I think <laughs> in the training process, we kind of realized that uh, we love riding, you know, mixed terrain, but, Probably mm-hmm. not in events like these. Yeah. Know? And it was, you know, it's 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 easy to get caught up, I think, in, in the hype. You know, your friends are doing it. You get excited. Um, but I think, like, looking back in our, in our heart of hearts, we, mm-hmm. you know, we love that kind of cycling, but, you know, kind of at our own pace and in our own terms, you know. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I And that's preparing yourself is part of that is riding with people before you get to an event like where there's a thousand people right? <laughs> and then realizing, Oh my God, this stresses me out. Or I, you know, whatever might happen. You, It's actually training is hard and nutrition is hard. And, and that, those are the things I don't really pay attention to because in my head, I, that turns me into a competitive athlete in mm-hmm. some regard, like I'm measuring things and, mm-hmm. and deciding, you know, making decisions based on the outcome that I, have no idea what what should actually happen right right versus just going for a ride and hanging out yeah and I I feel like mentally like we didn't realize until it was too late but it made cycling feel like homework Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know for for like a for like you said like an outcome when I think maybe emotionally psychologically if we if we had framed it as like just a really long ride for fun Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. we would have fared better uh mentally (laughs) yeah it's yeah and that's kind of my ride style over the years has changed so I've since that trans Iowa and uh what gritty brevet I've done five dirty Kansas and 
uh, five trans Iowas and just about five of everything because you can count on one hand. <laughs> and each of them have been completely different. Yeah. That I had a lot of uh, leftover uh, strength to rest on from my high school and college years and then kind of transitioning into gravel was easy. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I was, I it felt really comfortable to to already have like the discipline and the knowledge of nutrition and training and and that's how my brain worked right. already. So the fun part was fun because I was like, just show up and have fun and it's free. Right. But then I forgot, like once I lost all kind of that background support that you have to train for the event. So about five years went by and then I realized, oh my God, this is a lot of work. Like I have to maybe actually not eat four Twinkies at once while I'm on my bike ride right now. <laughs> so yeah. pay attention, you know? <laughs> So I'm curious, um, so you, you, you did uh, DKXL and then, uh, you know, the divide, how, mm-hmm. was there a difference in your mental space? Like, is there, like when you approach uh, an event like the divide versus like DKXL or is it just like a longer version of DKXL? Yeah, it's, uh, I, the way that I finish things is I decide that I am definitely finishing it before I even start. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I talk about things. So the way I talked about the last Trans Iowa I finished, which I finished it like three years ago, I s- said, This is the last time I'm doing Trans Iowa. I'm never showing up to this event again. <laughs> I am finishing for a second time because that's all I want is to finish more than once. And I did. Mm-hmm. I was like, Fine. So, and then I think it was done like after that. And so for Tour Divide, the way I would explain it to people is this is a vacation I'm going on. I'm going to finish in 28 days. I'm going to have fun 100 miles a day. Like, to me, that sounds like a vacation. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I did was finish in 27 days, took my time. You know, by the end of it, the people who were riding around us were joking about, you know, how I would wake up late and have our coffee and our breakfast and mosey out of town. I'm like, yeah, we did do that and I was riding with people too so it was a really fun time and I'm really proud of myself for setting myself a goal and actually doing it and realizing it was definitely within my ability and not freaking out that I'm not like going beyond that ability and you know challenging myself what looking for your limits which is important but you don't have to do that all the time you know, you'll never know what your limit, you know, you'll never know like the difference between the limit and, and not because every day was a new day, right? Like, so maybe there was three hours out of my 14th day on tour divide where I was like, wow, I quit. I'm never doing this again, <laughs> but I got over it. So right. <laughs> that's yeah. not the part that matters. Yeah. Has your, is your preference for, you know, writing style changed over the years? Uh, a little bit. Um, I think with gravel, I got a little bit uncomfortable and I, like, I didn't really understand where I fit in. I, my pace was changing as far as how I was riding the events. And I, I think I was stressing myself cause I missed my ability to go faster and I just didn't really try to get it back. Mm-hmm. And so then besides tour divide is really the only thing outside of the monumental loop that I've done that isn't really gravel or mountain biking. But yeah, I take all of my experiences and I think uh, 
it's it's just one like natural progression. I, I kind of like to say that during events, if I'm riding with someone, they're like, oh, you can go like, go ahead and go faster if you want. I'm like, no, you can if you want. Like it's natural progression. We'll all figure out how we're right. riding our events. So I'm slowly accepting that about myself is that I maybe someday will get back to being fast or something. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a fast year. I want that again, but it's, I'm not going to try and force it. Right. I have plenty of time to ride, like spend most of my time chasing women who are double my age, like (laughs) not double, but you know. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, cool. Well, let's talk about uh, another project that uh, you've been Mm -hmm. working on, uh, the Gravel Scouts. So uh, what is it and like why, why start it? So I started a Monday night ride two years ago at the shop. I just stole the idea from Bobby at District. I was like, I, can I brand this the same thing as Monday Night Gravel. He's like, sure. So uh, it's a no drop ride. I'm super adamant about it being no drop. Uh, In Iowa City, we have a lot of cyclists. We have a crazy fast A ride on the road, a pretty non-existent B ride. So if you want to go on like a a group ride, you have road rides, which Mm -hmm. are fine. So I started the Monday Night Gravel, no drop, super strict. I like the word strict um, <laughs> and it's been happening for two years. And, and at this point I had a, like a little crew of people last year who wanted to actually go do gravel events. And so we started traveling a little bit together. We went to Almanzo together. Um, I left for tour divide and the ride still happened without me there mm-hmm. because people were there to, to lead the ride and sweep the ride. And um, then I s- started to notice that, Things like safety and uh, like the commitment and the events we're going to and, you know, are people actually having fun when we go on this group ride with 30 people in it? You know, it's a lot of people. They've never ridden bikes together, mm-hmm. let alone on gravel. So I just started to notice a need for more organization, which figuring out how to craft a, a group of people around something that's, you know, physical exertion, competitive atmosphere and not have it be like a team mm-hmm. has uh, been really interesting. <laughs> so I've just started doing things like I have a weekly newsletter that I send out during the like busy season and we do a monthly meeting and I invite like community people like massage person or mm-hmm. whatever to come talk to us. And then I'm starting to create kind of a like a pyramid, like a foundation of what I think it means to be a gravel scout. So that's where I'm at right now with, uh, I just presented it at the Iowa gravel expo. They had me up there and I, it's, I don't want to say it's a governing body, but I do want to say, you know, that is the thing we like about gravel. There's no expectations. You can show up and you can be whoever you want to be. And it's beautiful. But I think people are also looking for that, that, uh, you know, the community to have some sense of, uh, you know, a space that you enter and you have expectations. People want that. So, what what's the like? What are the like the logistics of the ride? Do you, is it one ride leader, or do you have like do you designate roles, or how mm-hmm. do you how do you kind of make that strict uh, <laughs> no drop policy? Yeah, stick? The strictness happen. It's been really interesting because. Um, I'm someone, I'm a, I'm a coachable person. I'm, I've been coached my whole life. I love that. Like, I love that structure and I, I like miss having a team. I like crave that. And so for me trying to lead, it's, 
really interesting. It's been a learning experience. And a lot of people have stepped up to help. And there are people who were, one of them who I've known for a long time, another one who I met because of the ride. And so these two people, um, Olivia is the organized one. She has the ability to tell me things like, you need to work on this when you're talking in front of people, just things like that. And then Chad is, he makes the routes. He is also good at leading people because he's really tall, you know, so. (laughs) He's easy to see. He's easy to see. He knows where we're going. We've never really gotten that lost. So uh, before we leave, I designate a leader who's either me or one of those two usually. And then I designate a sweeper and the sweeper, uh, the guy who's been my number one sweeper is Brian. And he just has the ability to just like put people at ease and, and he wants to sweep and he's offered it. So I ask people if they want to do things, they offer it. And then the monthly meetings helped kind of solidify those people as my little, I, I, they're not helpers, but you know, that's how the ride works is people just have expectations for each other mm-hmm. to be committed to show up each week. And they really do. So those four people, I think it doesn't necessarily take four people to run a ride like that. Mm-hmm. You can have two. I think you should have two people, leader and a sweeper. And then um, and then just being as clear as possible is what's the hard thing for me is because I'm just now getting to the point where I feel comfortable telling people what to do while they're riding. And it's because I, I have decided that there's a foundation now. It's not just me telling you what to do. It's because safety is important and it's because being aware is important. And so uh, the structure and the strictness is, you know, part of it is showing up to an event and being able to feel comfortable and proud of yourself for getting yourself there. But I think not having an obvious way of doing that is a barrier. I think if you show up and you have to spend three years weaving your way through a community to find that place, then that's just not fair. So. I'm hoping that with what I'm doing, it's going to help people understand that, you know, people ask me questions all the time. Like, can I show up on this bike? I'm like, (laughs) yeah, if you like that bike, totally. (laughs) Like, can I wear these blue jeans? I'm like, if you want to, yes. Like, (laughs) And then there's things that I expect from people. So I expect them to wear helmets. I expect them to have lights, but I also offer those things at the bike shop. So having the local bike shop is also necessary for the ride to have, be able to have that strict set of guidelines. You know, I have resources for people to actually achieve it without having to like go buy $300 worth of stuff. It it seems like, you know, this kind of group is harder to uh, organize in some ways than just like a pure team because, you know, they're Mm -hmm. like, you know, the athletic expectations are on the table. You know what, you know, to, to be a competitive athlete, but this where it's team-like, but also inclusive and having to navigate between varying levels of, you know, experience or athletic ability. Um, mm-hmm. It seems like a, a tough hairball to organize. Yeah, it's weird. It's And that's the funniest thing about it is if you saw the group of people, if you saw the Monday Night Gravel Ride, that was something I, I sent a picture to someone that I rode Tour Divide with, and he's from Australia. I sent him a picture of the gravel ride when I got back to Iowa city and he was like, wow, so many different tire sizes. Cause there's fat bikes, there's mountain bikes, there's gravel bikes, there's hybrids, there's everything. And everyone's wearing, you know, full kit to, I literally just got off work. I'm wearing my blue jeans. Like 
And so it is the funniest group of people. And uh, this, I think the number one thing beyond just the expectations is, is that it's a safe space. So that's why these people are showing up. Mm-hmm. And then it's almost, I don't want to be like so proud that, you know, we don't have to worry about those things. We definitely do. But I think it comes out in a safer way, in a, in a way where people understand there's a leader and a sweeper on the ride. And if I have a problem, I can go talk to one of them mm-hmm. about anything. So, you know, setting myself up, I'm not, a, I'm not coaching anyone like I would on a team. I am just assisting. I'm like, a, it's a support group. The emotion, when I talk about safety, I'm talking about the emotional and the mental and the physical safety, you know, because those are the things I need too. When I show right. up to a gravel <laughs> event, my emotional well-being is at stake right now. And there are people around me and they are talking at me and I am not happy. So um, during the Monday Night Gravel ride, I can say that to, directly to someone. And then they're like, oh. Or maybe some, you know, two people behind me are having a conversation they've never gotten to have before. And they've always had a bike. They just never really knew how to challenge themselves. And I... I don't know if I've ever, I, I say this other thing to people individually. I'm like, I would never want to actually tell the Monday Night Gravel Ride how hard it is because mm-hmm. it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's like, oh, no, drop. That's so easy. Mm-hmm. Like, no, it's really hard. Like it might be physically hard for some people, it might be mentally hard for others and then emotionally hard for others. Like one time, Brian, the road bike co, my co uh, mm-hmm. part at the bike shop, the one who rides road bikes, came on the ride once. And the whole time he wore his heart rate strap and wouldn't let his heart rate go above a certain number. I was like, that's incredible, Brian. How did you survive the no drop ride? I'm so, and I'm so glad that he went. Like that's just, he went once. That's more than enough. Like he saw the people, he saw how they interacted. It has, it's never, you know, something I never want to experience the A the a ride that he goes on and he experienced a a ride he never wanted to go on right (laughs) and that was you know like more props to him i'm i won't do a crit talking about like like emotional safety so someone shows up to Mm -hmm. to the ride maybe they're new um Mm -hmm. or you know they're they're still just getting in shape uh how do you make it safe for them like do you like how how do you make them feel welcome part of the group and and all those things I try my best uh, with social media to kind of broadcast what the right is. So no drop the weekly newsletter. I try to do that too. And I, I put descriptions of what that means, what no drop is and what bike you can ride and what I expect you to have like a helmet and lights. So I, I try to set people up for success before they even show up on the ride. And then once they're there, um, I mean, the way that I lead things is, really low key and I need a megaphone so I can just talk into it instead of trying to yell at everyone. Cause I don't yell. And so I think before we even leave, I, you know, I point out the leader and the sweeper. I try to, and if I don't, then people like usually Chad or Olivia or Brian, those four, three other people who help out will talk too. And so it, I think the the way that I set the stage just seems really natural and really normal. And like, we're all supposed to be here riding together. There's, you know, the expectations are basically non-existent, but you know that they exist because we're waiting for each other. And that's pretty much all we're doing, which is the hard part. It's hard to wait for each other. Slowing down is really nice. And, you know, sometimes for someone that's also 
going pretty fast. So mm -hmm. other things I call out during the ride to make sure it's a safe space is uh, like at each stop, at each intersection, when we stop, I, I make sure I ask the last person if they're ready to go. And I think people realize when they stop for not as long as everyone else is stopping, we notice and we realize, you know, this is gonna be a harder ride for you because now you just have to pick up and go again, but it's gonna make you stronger. So there's been people on the ride who have, you know, lost almost 50 pounds because of riding with us. Oh, wow. And everyone notices and they're like, you look so much different. <laughs> you look better, I guess, you right. know? So people are starting to, to know each other. And so when new people show up to that space, they recognize that people know each other because they ride once a week together, which isn't a ton. Let's talk really quickly, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. I'm, I'm curious about the Iowa, is it the gravel? There was a gravel summit? Yeah, the gravel expo. The gravel expo. Which, <clears throat> and it's, it's, the grassroots feel about it was very much there. It felt like a town hall meeting almost. Like people would get up and talk about their events that they're doing. And... They, and we did two sessions of it. There was like 40 to 60 people at each session in a like small space at the upstairs of a restaurant. And there was lots of events there that just reminded me of when I started riding gravel a long time ago. And the reasons why those events exist is because of big events like Dirty Kanza kind of pushing people away, which I think is a good thing. I think uh, people don't talk enough about things that they don't like or they don't talk they don't they're scared of saying something negative like it's going to affect it in a bad way and i think it'll affect it in a good way because it can only mean that more people will care more about what they're doing i think that's what the expo showcased was that we're still out here and we're creating these you know 100 mile to 300 mile rides mm -hmm. that are just silly some of them are very competitive and they're trying to compete with Dirty Kanza, which mm -hmm. is, he knows is impossible. Right. And there's others that are like, we're a non-competitive event. We have live music. Right. <laughs> that, was, that was at the, at the expo and it was, I was like, well, shoot, well, I'm going to go to that because that's my, one of my friend's favorite bands. She'll go. She doesn't even ride bikes. Right. Right. So. Cool. Um, I think I'll end it here, but thanks so much for being on the podcast. If, if people want to learn more about Gravel Scouts or where should yeah. they, where should they go? Go to Instagram. Uh, the Gravel Scouts is the Instagram for that one. And then mine is Andrea from Iowa and that's where everything is. And if you want to sign up for the newsletters in there too, but <laughs> then you'll learn about what's happening in Iowa city. Right. But, you know. All right. Well, uh, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. So that wraps up another episode of PLP Talks. I hope you guys really enjoyed it. If you're not subscribed already, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review uh, in iTunes if that's how you discovered it. And until next time, keep the supple side down. <laughs>